I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we thought we'd talk about conflict. Or just enact it. (laughs) Conflict is important. We all know this, to story, to scene. And I think as we deepen our way into this crisis, we start to understand why conflict might be an inevitable part of any situation where people are forced to grow and change, i.e. story. Well, I also think it's sort of interesting is that as we acclimate to our new situation, what does it mean to be in crisis? When crisis is Is the new normal. normal. Well, we'll get back to that. But first, what are you working on? Right now, I had the honor and privilege of being uh, interviewed by uh, Charlie Swanson over at the Bohemian here in Sonoma County. So I wanted to say... Shout out to Charlie Swanson. And to the Bohemian and to thank them. a radio show too. Yeah, and to thank them for, you know, paying attention to our local community. Local papers are really important. Here, here. And um, they have been sort of how we know our communities and what's going on in important city council meetings and things like that. So I, I had that happen today, which was very exciting. And I am actually in the middle of, you know, also designing project. And I think I... For the middle school math class. For the middle school math class, but also really thinking about, you know, how many things our projects, our creative projects. And I think I talked about that before with designing a curriculum. It is a creative process. And to imagine that it's not a creative process is to underestimate what it is to design and deliver a curriculum. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways we see this with the sort of plethora of Zoom meetings that are happening everywhere. And that, um, Many of which are, you know, wonderful and sustaining and all of that, but but it is different than having a consistent curriculum. Mm-hmm. And and you know, one of the things I think we've been able to really lean into in our community is um, the process that we've developed and mm-hmm. the expectations that we've we've set. And so people come and they know they bring their part, and their parts are so wonderful. You mm-hmm. know, they bring the their writing and. And we have a and we have a way we share it, and so all of those kind of rituals of um, pedagogy are sustaining in a way that that kind of just having a million screen options can be a little overwhelming. But the, absolutely, in, in contrast, and I and I actually just want to do a quick shout out to two different groups of people. One, we have listeners. I've recently gone on and looked in on every continent. And I want to say, amazing. I want to say thank you to the listeners who are sticking with us through this crazy, crazy time. And we are always interested to hear the voices from Africa and Australia and Asia and Europe and Antarctica, depending on you know what's going on with you. I'll be fair. I'll be honest. I haven't seen that we're getting picked up a lot in Antarctica. Antarctica. <laughs> But just a shout out to our global community, because right now we have probably never been more a community than we are right now. And story makers exist everywhere. And it's one of the essential labors. Not, I'm not mm-hmm. sort of trying to say, like, compare us to 
the frontline workers, front workers and, and the grocery people and all the laborers. Who are frontline workers, right? Yes, abs- 100%. And I want to hold and honor how necessary to all of us the incredible creativity that has come out of this has, has been, to how sustaining. I mean, mm. whether it's the late night shows that like deliver the news where we, in a way we can laugh instead of cry, whether mm-hmm. it's the memes and the just the funny posts and people sharing and the level of honesty. I mean, I do think we've talked, It's it's been talked about the ways in which this has made much kinder the kind of social media world. Interesting. And, um, and I think it's really true. I think people are much more, instead of the sort of grandstanding of you know, here's my, here's an audience and I'm going, you know, which I, which I've definitely been guilty of, of like, you know, oh, I'm going to make some important political point or whatever. It's here we all are and we're all struggling and we're all, Mm -hmm. you know, people are suffering and we, and we know that. Right. And I've thought about that at times. I remember when my dad was dying and just driving in and out of the hospital and thinking, you just don't know what anybody's dealing with in a moment when they're being a jerk at a stop sign or something. You don't know if like, someone close to them has just died or whatever. And right. we're all really aware of that right now. I think mm-hmm. we're all like, you know, on the one hand you can glare at somebody for like coming a little too close. And at the same time, we just know like everybody's struggling and everybody's, you know, almost everybody's doing the best they can. <laughs> Not all the political leaders, but almost You know, but here's, I mean, the horrifying thing is even our political leaders are doing the best yeah. they can. We just might need to pick people who can do better. <laughs> the other shout out I want to make is to the teachers who have spent so much time training to be professionals in a highly interactive environment like the classroom. And right now are asked to take their immense skill and professionalism and turn that into a brand new delivery process. So many studies show the importance of the relationship between a teacher and her or his students. Um, And that that has a higher correlation than any given curriculum, right? And so to all the teachers who are doing the best you can to deliver for your students what they need, thank you. And to be suddenly in an incredible learning curve. And I just, you know, to the to the few that I'm personally watching up close, it's been really exciting to see them learn how to bring what's amazing about them through this new medium. And watching the kids struggle with not getting to go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's so many privileges that our kids are accustomed to. And this is one of them. I mean, it's it's a right, but it's a huge privilege too. Absolutely. You know, the universal education. For however we can critique it, it's, you know, seeing them missing that. And the community and their teachers are part of that. Yeah, it's absolutely just makes us realize how vital that is and how sustaining it is, how it uplifts them every day. Because it's, you know, not uplifting them in the same way, but it mm-hmm. still actually is a, a routine and, and a, you know, it's, it's something that is helping tremendously. So thank you to the teachers out yes, there. Yes, to the teachers, to the frontline workers, and to the people who are staying inside. Mm-hmm. People who are venturing out because you must, the people who are suffering and the people who are losing people. And this is quite a time. Yes. And with that, <laughs> so we're going to talk about segue. Conflict. Yeah. <laughs> 
So what did you want to talk about around conflict that we are all deeply immersed in it right now? Well, or? here's the thing that I here's the thing that I think the sort of the sort of craft of story silver lining and again like nobody would would trade this kind of knowledge for the lives and the tragedies and the whatever so it's but but here we are in it mm-hmm. and so and i think there's just so much to learn from it and one of the things is that story can seem melodramatic in the moments when our lives are going motoring along in a privileged, normal way, and we're sitting in our cafe or in our office or whatever, trying to write at our quiet desk, and there's nothing wrong with our world, it can seem that we know of. That we know of. It can seem artificial to put people through the kinds of paces that story puts them through. And right now it doesn't seem artificial. In fact, I think, you know, that is one of the things we've heard people struggling with, which is, you know, you what is enough struggle at this point? Like when your characters are not struggling with global pandemic, really what is there? But to understand that when the stakes feel high, whether it's global or personal, we can't help but struggle. We have to try to regain our equilibrium and, and this is sort of interesting, too, because that's a principle we talk about in terms of story, is mm-hmm. characters try to, to get back to some kind of right. normal. And so we see that with ourselves. And, and in fact, instead of getting back to normal, what usually happens is characters are forced to grow. Absolutely. And that's what's happening to us right now. Yeah, and, no, and no one ever said that, like, <laughs> yeah, that growing was like, oh, that's super comfortable. Like, you know... Um, it isn't comfortable. It's kind of it's the sort myth of, of self-help, you right? Know what that I th- it's going to be pleasurable to grow. <laughs> right. I didn't, yeah. I think that um, when I think about conflict, when I think about story, I often, like especially conflict, I think of Dorothy Allison a lot. I was um, teaching her this week. And I think that when I think about, the truth is that, there are a lot of systems still in place where like you and I as white people are sitting outside of a, another kind of global pandemic and we have been sort of people who are able to be privileged by it because of the color of our skin. And I wonder when we look back at the great works of people who have been marginalized, those folks probably have a lot of insight <laughs> <laughs> what a global pandemic looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of like with the election, with everybody going like, oh my God, America's racist. <laughs> All the white people going like, this is shocking. It's shocking how racist America is. And the people of color are like, is it now? <laughs> is, it, is it a huge surprise? Because we called it. We called it a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, the, so <laughs> to pull it back to the story... Um, to really, I guess that, you know, the other thing is we're looking at, you know, the stories of our students, different moments of right. global crisis. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going back and revising an old work that takes place during the insane inflation in, in Germany in the 1920s. Mm. And, you know, I read about it and there was a way in which it was really hard for me to wrap my mind around. I mean, these stories are like people getting like a wheelbarrow full of paper Cash, money, yeah. right? And then 
going immediately upon getting paid to the store because the rates were changing so quickly that that wheelbarrow would become even more worthless. Yeah, exactly. So you I'm might writing, as well burn your money because it was going to be more effective as a fuel. As fuel. So I'm reading. So I'm writing. So I wrote about it. But reading it now in this moment of like, like unemployment, like we've really never seen it. Where you look at the mm-hmm. the, the re- recessions and they, they're just so they're tiny little bumps compared to this like in, you know insane skyrocketing, and really thinking. What it means when something unimaginable ha- actually happens, where you mm-hmm. actually are like, oh, the money is devaluing so fast, I can't like shop with it, right? Like, I mean, just it, it becomes more imaginable in a moment like this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, you know, so great. So my story is <laughs> going to be better. And that's a silver lining. Yeah, even, <laughs> even so, it's sort of funny because you, you have the people who... You know, think about your dad, right? 1926 was his birth year. And I was a child of his middle age. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, experienced the depression during a period of time where he is growing up and understanding how th- this is how the world works. And, you know, how different it is. Like when we, I'm always interested in character and point of view and how that rolls out in a given situation. And you, you get someone maybe like your dad who had been in a situation where hunger was rampant in the U.S. and people didn't have stuff and we were at our worst and our best and all of that, those sort of heightened ways of being versus someone who came of age in the 50s when we're seeing a, a post-war boom of our economy. We've rolled our production from weapons to, you know, households are so laissez-faire. And so it's interesting. It's just really interesting to sort of look at like, how would someone who had been through something like this before respond to it versus someone who didn't? And this is what we were talking about before, right? When we were talking about people of color being like, yeah, no, America is racist. Yeah. Well, I was talking to my mom about how she, and I said, well, maybe because she grew up a lot in England. I said, she's always very aware of, you know, if, if someone has a cold, like don't touch them. Don't, you know, she's got a lot of awareness of, kind of the germ theory of disease and the, and the spread of, of. No, of, she uh, gave our children advice about how to keep themselves like clean in elevators. Right. And, p- pushing the button with your knuckle and those right. kinds of things. So, so, you know, and this is one of those things where like, in moments it seemed excessive, but mm. now it seems sort of like the current wisdom. And so, now my nose itches like crazy. <laughs> so I said to her, you know, you sort of already were coming from this place. And she said, well, it was really my mom. And I said, when, what year was she born? She was born in 1921. Mm. It's like, oh, well, if you were born three years after a flu pandemic... Like, and and let's be clear, like it wasn't like a like oh look boom this has happened. It it was it was pandemics don't actually happen in like single blips, <laughs> despite what you may have been told. <laughs> well, if you look at like historically, even the plague plague lasted so long, and we forget that. But the plague lasted for a really long time. We want to forget. And that. I would actually argue, just from my psychohistorical perspective. <laughs> That the combination of her mom and polio are probably mm. why your mom has some of those things because both of our parents grew up in a time when they didn't have a vaccine for polio. Interesting. And that was something that, you know, people would hold their kids inside for summers because they didn't know 
what the transfer was. They didn't know how to stop it. Well, so apparently, my, so my dad had scarlet fever when he was mm-hmm. four in 1930. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents were not planning, or maybe he was three when he had it, and my grandparents were not planning to have another child. That's also unusual. That they were not planning to have another yeah. child. Well, they lived in Manhattan, you know, it was a busy time. They we don't were, think about that, they though. Liked I mean, to like, go to the opera. Your, your, you know, grandparents who were born in the late 19th century, like, that was not common. Yeah. And, and who knows? But the story is they weren't planning to have another child, but because my father had scarlet fever and they were afraid they were going to lose him, they sort of had the replacement child. Um, and then they didn't lose him. And there was some resentment over that. <laughs> but it also sounds like. Your grandparents only had sex for reproductive purposes. <laughs> no, they probably only had reproductive sex for reproductive purposes. Okay, do you know about the history of <laughs> birth, birth control, control in the 30s? <laughs> We're far afield now. Ooh, we are in the weeds. Um, but let's go back to conflict. Yeah. All right. So I guess the, the thing is it's uncomfortable to be pushed beyond your knowledge area, otherwise known as your comfort zone. Like it Mm -hmm. makes it sort of tautological to say it, but it's uncomfortable to be outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It's going to create conflict. It's going to create internal conflict. Mm -hmm. And then because we're human beings, we're going to take that internal conflict and we're going to create external external conflict. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to play itself out. And then, okay, so here's a question I want to ask of story that we might be able to then bring into life. So we can bring this podcast back on the rails. So what makes conflict productive in story? What moves it from repeat beat, bashing ourselves, you know, against the same walls to growth? Well, I think fundamentally it sort of has to have value within the context of the story world, right? So... There's that, but I think when we watch... Say more about that. Say well, more. you know, maybe when you're young and you haven't seen a lot of violence, that's exciting to watch violence, right? That's kind of an interesting thing to explore. But when you have seen violence enough and you think about conflict in different ways, um, you know, you think about Black Panther, Right, and I, f- I feel like that film was kind of an amazing study on really the complex dynamics of privilege and persecution. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you have this amazing world in the middle of Africa that is rich and technologically advanced beyond anybody's imagining, and yet. When they come to the world stage and they say, hey, this stuff is going on, people perceive them in a particular way, right? And so when he loses his dad, it's in the middle of this big public interaction. And his dad is like trying to do something that's better for the world as a whole. I, again, I I think that's just really dynamic storytelling because it was both on the global political level and on that personal level. So while his dad and was you know trying to talk about the challenges facing the world and what Wakanda could bring and, and being actively disregarded by these world councils, 
Wakanda was having to come to terms with the fact that T'Challa had a cousin. There were, you know, there was the own inappropriateness of the history of Wakanda and how T'Challa had become the king and Black Panther. So Killmonger is the representation of like that part that gets ejected when we think we're moving forward. You have no idea what I'm talking about now, do you? <laughs> so, okay, so we're looping that back in well, to conflict. To conflict, which is who has the right to be Black Panther, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it the person who has received... Well, the- I know what we were getting to. We were getting to what kind of conflict is relevant to a particular story, mm-hmm. has value in the story right. world. So it isn't just that he fights with uh, Killmonger, and it isn't... Because Killmonger, he's related to him. He's someone, so Killmonger has been through so much suffering and challenge, and T'Challa has been so privileged, right? Mm -hmm. He's been the prince of Wakanda, essentially, for his entire growing up. Mm -hmm. And then we have this person who had been ejected from that community. Mm -hmm. So who has the right to sit at the table, as it were. And so, yeah, they could have just made Killmonger unrelated, right? Mm-hmm. Killmonger could have been anybody from someplace with a you know fairly reasonable chip on his shoulder, but he wasn't. He was someone that T'Challa's own family had done poorly by. And that's what makes conflict compelling. Because we've all done things we shouldn't have with regard to the people who love us. We have all, well, not all of us, but many of us have gotten privilege without knowing it, right? Beautiful. I mean, I just, I think it was so smart, this film, um, in that way, because you have this person who is given all these things and he's good. There's no question that T'Challa's good. But it's not that simple. Mm. And that's what I love about that conflict. And then again, when we talked about Frozen, right? I know, it reminds me of that, right? Because it's the, the somebody you, you, you have keep, reason to love who you also have conflict with. Right. So when you think about conflict as being rooted in relationship... And there are many different kinds of relationship, but it's interesting. You know, I was listening to someone talk recently about Lex Luthor and Superman, and they're kind of a poor pairing. Mm. Lex Luthor isn't really the villain Superman needs. Mm. So you'll see a lot of times that there are these arch nemeses when we think about conflict. Who, you know, it's like the rom-com Right when you think about rom com, who completes me? Right, <laughs> who completes the other person? And when you think about these other kind of superhero stories, superhero stories just a rom com with tighter tights. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, it's time for steal this. <laughs> Is there anything we want to sum up about conflict? Well, I think there's so much to say about it. And I just want to say that it's got to be rooted in relationship. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have real meaning in the context of your story world, it's not a conflict worth exploring. Yeah. Great. It's time for Steal This. 
Amateur poets? And professional poets borrow. Do they? No, no. Professional <laughs> po- amateur poets steal. No, that's not how it goes. I, I was saying it correctly. You were correcting me incorrectly just to demonstrate conflict. conflict. Ha, 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 we staged that. <laughs> oh, that was so staged. Ha, it was so fake. <laughs> it is so fun. Go ahead. <laughs> it's good to be locked in a house together. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings, your wide, wide wanderings this and, and week? Your deep, deep readings that, that you would like, like to take steal and make, make your, your own. own. I am reading slash listening to Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Mm, sounds dirty. And uh, it's not terribly dirty, but um, it is delightful and... It's one of those books that like might be called a quiet book, mm. but um, it's but and the, here's the thing. So and this isn't these are no these aren't spoilers. This is pretty upfront. So the main character is grieving her mother who has recently died unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and she's you know early thirties like young, and she's kind of dating right like fine, right. you know kind of whatever, dealing with relationships. And she's also a waitress. So she kind of has that, her work world or whatever. She's also, and she's a writer. She's trying to write, you know, Mm -hmm. she she is writing, but she's trying to become a writer. And she's, um, so those are, you know, so she's, but I think that deep, this deep grief, I mean, that is what makes her a character in need of story. She's like a a grief stricken character who's alone. And she's kind of, you know. So what are you stealing? Well, I think what I'm stealing is, well, so actually it's slightly going beyond what I'm saying, but the story is very much about, and I haven't finished it, but, but it's about kind of making connection through and during grief. Mm. And so each of the, she's got these different men that she gets involved with and like every one of them has some kind of recent death experience. Okay. Does this at all feel like the beginning of our relationship? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that my father was dying when we finally got together. And he died two weeks after it. Yeah. So that was light. That was light. And friendly. Um, <laughs> but um, it's not uncommon, you know, like love and death are both not uncommon. So there's a little Venn diagram there. Um, but so this is the thing that I, and I think I talked about it last week and it, it's probably, I'll probably keep talking about it because, and it's kind of thematic to keep talking about that there's like one thing that a book mm-hmm. is about one thing and we've taught this and I get it and yet I feel like it's the thing that's landed for me the most kind of both with the other book and this and the book that I'm look, revisiting is like with my own work you know the last two is like what is the one thing about and then it doesn't actually mean that you're one note about it but it means that that thing comes through in the nuance of the descriptions, mm-hmm. the details, the emotions, the actions, the choices, the characters, their differences, their similarities. I mean, everything is going to speak to that thing that the book is about. And it can sound simplistic or formulaic or frustrating or constraining, but actually it's, it's, it becomes so resonant. You know, all those characters that she's involved with are different and their losses are different. They're different people, you know, so, so, but that's who she's drawn to because she's, that's what she's trying to figure out. And so 
and it's not heavy handed, but it's just clear. I mean, if you're somebody who's in the throes of grief, you're going to be drawn to the story that the people, the characters, the conflicts that you need to kind of figure out how to keep moving. It's like we all date the wrong person until we're ready for the right person. Yeah, it could be that. Right. Well, you're talking about how conflict shapes and pushes us and, you know, yeah, kind of have to go through that pinball bumpers <laughs> before we're really ready to do the next thing. Yeah. yeah. But the big craft piece is everything's about one thing in a book. And mm. that's what makes it more complex and nuanced and deep and resonant, not less. Noise. All right. How about you? Well, Actually, like I've read this a million different places and it's actually something that I'm finding for myself and it's, it's, I don't know. So I don't know who to credit with it because I'm sure I wasn't the first person to think of this, but action is the antidote to worry. Mm. And so, you know, if you're out there and you're worried about your art, make your art. If you're out there and you're worried about... Your family. What can you do to connect? What can you do to support? If you're out there and you're overwhelmed, take care of yourself. Like those are actions, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's when we sit in not acting that we lose our power. And so, so this week, I well, actually last week I started deciding to claim my work with the math class as my creative work. Mm. And it's actually helped me tremendously to acknowledge how much work I'm doing, how much of my creative thinking goes into that. Um, And it's that one shift in perspective has made me feel more empowered to take on other creative work. So that's very exciting. I love that. So it is Earth Day week. And um, we just wanted to, one, say, okay, we were all meant to be out in the streets um, en masse making giant changes. And that's not what's going to be happening necessarily. Don't go out in the streets en masse and make changes, okay? Or sans mask. <laughs> yes, no en masse, no sans mask. You're, so you're making poetry right now. So instead of going out in the street... You can go online. You don't have to. You can do find many other ways to show up. But And I want to encourage you to look at dailydosedeal.com where Angie and I have joined with some other amazing folks to blog about climate change. And we're going to have links there. We're going to be doing some uh, teaching about writing about climate as well on that website in the coming weeks. Um, partly connected to and inspired by Earth Day. But also um, you can go to earthday.org and there's going to be 24 hours of online action on April 22nd, Earth Day. And also um, sbaearthday.com is the Sunrise Movement Bay Area website. And they're going to have three days of local action, um, again, online, so it's not really local. Um, (laughs) And um, if you want to get inspired, if you want to connect, if your kids want to connect, um, these are some great ways to do that. So we just wanted to mention those things. And my contribution is to remind folks that you're going to wash your hands for 20 seconds. And if you are singing happy birthday, you can actually just change it to happy Earth Day. So let's spend next week just washing our hands for 20 seconds with that reminder. 
Happy Earth Day to you and me. Happy Earth Day to you and me. Happy Earth Day, dear Earth. Happy Happy Earth Day Day to you and me.